Well, welcome. We are glad you're here. I think you came here to be blessed. And I believe you will leave here blessed. It's good to be together. It's good to have a chance to worship God. We're grateful for those who are able to join us online. We still have a a faithful few that are joining us online, and we're grateful for them as well. But it's nice to, to see each other's faces. I like that. It's already been referred to several times, the different troubling things that are in the news, and I appreciated Ryan's prayer about the shooting in Buffalo. That was really disturbing to me. I, um, I felt like I should say something about it. I, you know, as an 18-year-old whose heart got caught up with hate and fear, and, and fed on messages that other people, people that don't look like me, are to be hated and feared. And folks, we are going to be inundated with messages that tell us to hate and fear. We've already had a lot of that, but we're going to have more in the coming years, I'm predicting. We're going to have hate directed at us, whatever our race, and and I just want you to understand what Jeremy said is right. We serve Lord Jesus. He told us to be a city on a hill. And so when you see somebody spewing racial hatred or any of these other kinds of hatred that are just part and parcel of our world right now, you don't answer with hate, but you need to answer. As a follower of Jesus, you need to say something. You need to say something that says, I, I won't just sit here and be silent to let this hate go unchallenged. We are called by our king to be that city on a hill. We are called by our king to be that light to the world. And so church, let's be that. And I want to say one more thing. As we live in this environment that is now steeped with fear and hate, as more and more messages come to us from all sides telling us the way forward is fear and hate, we need to guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. He answered hate with love. He answered fear with hope. And the more you can cling to your Christ Jesus, the more you will be able to do the same. I feel like we need to have a prayer right now. Just pray with me. Dear God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. He leads the way for us in so many things, and in this we want to be led by him. God, when we see hate, help us to speak up in love. 
God, help us to be true champions for those who are being abused. Help us to be true champions for those who are being hated. And God, give us the strength to do that without turning to hate and fear ourselves. Help us to guard our hearts in your Son, Jesus Christ. These things we pray in his mighty name. Amen. So, back to our series on Love Hard. If you have your study sheets, you know I'm going to be talking to you about Moses today. Moses is a mixed bag. He did some amazing things, some of it really against his will. And God used him to do truly remarkable, remarkable, world-changing things. But one of the things you can see about him is the way in which his love for God's people shone through. And it was not a Valentine's and Puppies kind of love. It was a hard love, and that's what this series is about, doing the hard work of love, love hard. And I want to use Moses to just talk about the leadership aspect of love. And when I said the word leadership, I could tell some of you said, oh good, this isn't about me, and you kind of lean back and sort of pew lazy boy it. I saw that. But I want to explain something to you. This sermon is about you, whoever you are. Because in your life and in God's kingdom, there are multiple times when you're called to be a faithful follower. Multiple times that's going to happen. And there are multiple times when you are called, just like Moses was called, you are called to be a loving leader. (laughs) That's just That's just part of the way this works. You may not even always be aware when you've been put in a leadership position. Sometimes you have to open your eyes and realize, oh my goodness, I'm influencing people. I didn't even mean to. You are called over and over again to be a leader. Here in church, in your family, in your workplace, all around the people that you know. That's going to happen. God's going to use you for that. And so listen to what we learn from the example of Moses. Now, I could have done a whole series on Moses, probably should someday. But I'm just going to focus on three episodes that illustrate three different aspects of the hard love of leadership that he exercised. The first one is right after he gets to Egypt. God calls him. He argues with God. It's so, such an interesting call. God speaks to him. I don't know if you've ever imagined God speaking to you to call you to do something. But God, God has to really talk Moses into this. I want to use you to save my people. And Moses says, nope, I think you should pick somebody else. I think there are lots of other people who can do better. I think Moses had a, maybe he stuttered, I'm not sure. He said he had stammering speech, halting speech. He tries to talk God out of it, but God says, no, you're going to be the one. And you go back there and and you're going to do this for me. 
And he goes back and he has this confrontation. Afterwards, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, Yahweh, or Jehovah, the God of Israel says, let the people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. I want them to go out. You need to respect their right to go out in the wilderness and worship me. I'm not in your temple. Yahweh says, I'm not one of those idols that you worship, but you need to respect these are my people and they need to come out to be near me. You need to let them go to do that. There's some back and forth that happens, but the upshot is this. Look down in verse 4. The king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave the order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. Then, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Do not reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let's go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Okay, so that's Pharaoh's response. I've been, I've been too soft. That, yeah, that's right, Pharaoh. I've been too soft on the Israelites. Now I'm going to really crack down. It's a very common response from people in power. Think more violence and more power will do the trick. Down in verse 17, that theme picks back up again. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce the full quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble uh, when they were told, you'll not reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious, is the way the NIV translates it. The ESV translates that as a stink. (laughs) You've made us stink to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Okay, that's not a pretty story. That's not a good story. Pharaoh says, I don't even know who your God is. I'm not going to listen. I, I, I don't care. All I can see is this is just a trick by lazy people not to do their work. So I'm going to double down. I'm going to push you even harder. And in a response, the Israelites, who in the previous chapter said, we believe. Moses, we believe you. We trust you. Go do it. Now they say, this is all your fault, Moses. Look at what you've done. To me, that illustrates one of the hardest aspects of what leadership is like. Because to be a leader over and over again, I don't know what you imagine being a leader is like, bossing people around, has very little to do with it. Over and over again, being a leader is having the people above you in the organization mad at you, at the same time the people you're leading are mad at you. That is so typical of being a leader. If that's happening to you right now, you are right in the spot that leaders usually are in. That's what being a leader is like. 
People above you are mad. Why can't you get your people to do the right thing? People below you are mad. Why can't you fix our problem? And you, <laughs> nobody's going to understand what's going on with you. Yeah, but I was sick. I was, you know, they don't care. You're the problem. And in that hot seat, loving leadership figures out a way to work on the problem anyway. That's what the hard love of leadership is like. Moses loved enough to lead his people even when both sides blame him. And, and in your leadership roles, of which I think you will have many in your life, big and little, that's always the trick. Both sides mad at me, both sides shooting at me. I'm getting it from above, I'm getting it from below. And in the middle of that, how can I keep from just blowing up in a ball of rage and resentment and instead make some progress on what needs to happen? That's what ends up taking place. Moses is able to move the ball forward, even in this situation. And God uses Moses as his instrument to humble Pharaoh. I'll tell you what, by the end of the next four chapters, Pharaoh's no longer asking that question, who is that God that you, you know, want to go out? Pharaoh has learned, he's had a lesson in ten parts of who that God is. He knows now. And he lets the Israelites, in fact, they make the Israelites leave. They say, take loot, here, take stuff, here, let me empty my pockets and give you treasure if you'll just leave our land. And the Israelites leave, Moses leads them out. Now before I even read the next story, let me ask you a question. Were the Israelites a fun group to be the leader of? <laughs> Again, I don't know what your vision of leadership is like. But mostly the people you're going to lead are going to be tough to lead. People are grumblers. This is one of the most characteristic words that's used of the Israelites during this period. They are grumblers. And they grumble. They grumble as soon as they get to the Red Sea. You brought us out here so the Egyptians could kill us. Look, here comes the army. Just calm down, Moses says, and see the salvation of the Lord. They cross the Red Sea miraculously. The Egyptian army is taken away, drowned in the Red Sea. They walk for like three more days or maybe a week, and the Israelites are grumbling. We're out here. We don't know where we're going to get water. We just don't know. They make that grumble like three times, two times at least, before they get to Mount Sinai. Now we're starving. We didn't bring enough food. God solves that problem. God solves the water problem. Using Moses to do it. That's what it's like to be the leader of these people. And they get to Mount Sinai, and, and even after Mount Sinai, and they promise, oh, we want to be God's people. We want to be God's holy priesthood. We want to do that. We're, we'll keep the whole covenant. We promise. We promise. They build God's tabernacle, and God leads them out. They still are rebels over and over again. I, I could have picked so many passages to illustrate this point. I wanted to pick the one that shows Moses at the breaking point of leadership. 
Because I'm going to tell you, leadership has its own kind of despair. And this passage, Numbers chapter 11, if you don't have a study sheet, it's Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. This shows Moses at the point of just, I just want to throw this whole thing in. I don't want to do this anymore. These people are horrible. And they don't deserve my efforts, let alone yours. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Fire from the Lord burned around them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And the people cried to Moses. He prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the place was called Tabera, because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. And the rabble among them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Mm. And now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna, this free food that God's been giving us every day for the past two years. The manna was like coriander seed, and it looked like resin. The people went around gathering it, and they ground it up in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted something like something made with olive oil, which, by the way, means it tasted luxurious. The dew settled in the camp at night. The manna came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on me? What have I done to displease you that you put the burdens of all these people on me? Did I conceive? Did I give birth to all these people? Did I give them birth? Why did you promise on oath? Uh, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to a land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. You see that? That's verse 15. If I found favor in your eyes, but do not let me face my own ruin. He says, they're about to come and kill me because I can't give something that's not in my power to give them. That's what leadership's like. And Moses has had it. He is done. You know what the people should be doing? Is saying, Moses, you've done amazing things. When, when you found us, we were slaves. And God used you to set us free. Moses, when you found us, we were just this helpless Power. We weren't even really a group of people. And now we're a people that other people recognize. We have a covenant with God. We have a tabernacle and a priesthood and a sacrificial system that washes our sins away by the blessing of God's grace. And again and again and again, when we've had needs, you've been able to pray to God for us, and there comes water when we need water, and there comes food when we need food. Again and again, that's happened, Moses. You deserve a parade, Moses. But that's not usually what happens. 
when God calls you to leadership. And Moses is at his breaking point here. He's done. Moses loved enough to lead his people even when he was trying to when those he was trying to help hated him for it. Unfortunately, leadership has to lead not just through the good times, but through the difficulties. And the people that you're leading will blame you for the difficulties. Now, God helps Moses out of that situation eventually. The people's heart doesn't change very much, and Moses, to the end of his life, is still dealing with this difficult people. And if he had depended on the people being grateful to him and treating him the way he deserved to be treated, he would have crumbled. In the end, the thing that saved Moses was that his vision of the good that God was trying to bring for this group of people was bigger than his need for their approval. And brothers and sisters, that's true for you too. When God calls you to a leadership position, don't expect to be thanked. You may get thanked. That's gravy if that happens. Your vision of what God is trying to do with whoever, you may only be leading two people, just your kids or somebody. I don't know, your, your younger siblings. Whoever God calls you to lead, your vision of what God is trying to do through you for them needs to be the dominating force if you want to get through that in a good way. That's the way leadership works. That's the way loving leadership operates. I'll tell you one more story about Moses. This is my favorite story about him. There are several places we could go to to tell it. I'm going I'm to direct you over to Psalms 106 that references it, Psalms 106, verses 19 through 23. I've read accounts, we have accounts that survive from the Middle Ages of people who lived in walled cities and what it's like to be in a walled city when it's being besieged. You know, you're in a city, you've got walls and they are protecting you, but the people who are attacking you outnumber the forces inside the city massively. Usually five to one. That's the way sieges typically are. So if the walls break, you know everybody inside the city is, is going to die. And people talk about what it feels like to be in the city and hear the forces outside working on breaking through the walls. All night long, pound, pound. And you know every pound means we are one step closer to having a section of our wall breached. That thing that's keeping us safe from this overwhelming military force outside that wants to destroy us. Pound, pound, pound. Sometimes sieges lift, but sometimes that's exactly what takes place. The wall is breached. 
an overwhelming military force outside. Now it's the job of the defenders of the city to stop the force from pouring through that breach. Do you want to be the soldier that goes and stands there in that hole that's just been made in the city wall? That's what it means to stand in the breach. That was the emotional content of that phrase that's used here in Psalms 106. That there was destruction, justified destruction, coming on the Israelites, and Moses stood in the breach to pray to God on their behalf. At Horeb, Horeb's another word for Mount Sinai, at Horeb, they made a calf, and they worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them. God said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before them, to keep his wrath from destroying them. Moses stepped into the face of God who was intent on destruction and fell to his knees to pray. Question. You don't have to answer me, this is rhetorical. Did the Israelites deserve to have Moses pray for them? They did not. They deserved the wrath that God wanted to unleash on them. That's what they deserved. And they hadn't treated Moses so royally and wonderfully that he, you know, said, well, I owe them this. No. The only thing that could possibly motivate what Moses does is love for the Israelites and love for God. And he falls to his knees in front of God. If you want to read more of the story, you can. one of the best places it's told is Exodus chapter 32. God says, I'm, I'll just wipe all of them out. They've worshipped the golden calf down there while I was up here giving them the law. I'll just wipe them all out. I'll start over with you, Moses. This is like two or three times God makes this offer to Moses. I'll just start over with you. I like you. We'll just start with you as a new chosen people. Keep all the promises through you. You're a descendant of Abraham. I can do that. And Moses says, you don't want to do that, God. Think of what the Egyptians will think. They'll think you're an evil God. Brought people out and slaughtered them all. You don't want to do that. And you made promises. You made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God, please, please. This is someone who loves his people and loves God on his knees for people who don't deserve it and faithfully offering intercessory prayer. And when I read the Moses story, I had a lot of things I could have said about Moses. That's, the, that's what I wanted to end on this morning is Moses loved enough to, to pray for people. Moses loved enough to pray for his people even when they were rebelling against God. 
And the reason why I think that's so important is every one of us have people that are close to us who are at least right now in a state of kind of rebellion against God or wandering away from God, living lives that make them enemies of God, at least temporarily. And if you're at all like me, that makes me angry. <laughs> I love God. And I also love them, and I don't want them to be enemies of God. I, I want them to go to heaven. I want them to be with God. And I get angry. And, and I am well aware of all the mistakes they're making. And that makes me even angrier, because it's so obvious to me. What I often fail to do, I'm just laying it out there, folks. This is confession from your preacher. What I often fail to do is to get on my knees before God and pray for the ones I'm angriest at. <laughs> you know? God, they're hurting themselves. And God, they don't deserve your mercy. But I'm asking you, <laughs> to show them mercy anyway. Soften their hearts, bring them back. Don't destroy them, please, Lord. God's going to call you to leadership multiple times, Christian. Multiple times. And there are challenges to being a leader. Here's a challenge I want you to take up. You pray for those people in your life. The people that are faithful to God, you pray that they keep on being faithful. And a particular challenge is those folks that are in your life, the people that you know that are close to you, that are right now living in kind of rebellion against God, make their names be on your lips too when you pray to God. Be faithful in your prayer about them. This sermon, I will tell you, has convicted me. I want to do that better now. And I want it to convict you too. Things change when people pray. A righteous person's prayer is powerful. And so, let us take up that weapon. Let us stand in the breach. Let us be soldiers for righteousness. You need to respond to God's invitation to love his people. It may be an invitation to be a faithful follower. It may be an invitation to be a loving leader. It's probably going to be an invitation to do all of those things multiple times. If you need to respond to his invitation by asking for public prayers to get back on track on something, or if you need today to receive baptism. Have your sins washed away and begin the new life. Then we invite you to come forward. Tell us what we can do for you as we stand and let in song.